Previously on Transformers University, we dug deep into the first five episodes of the series, and we met all of the voice cast for the entire season. And now, we dig further into the middle five episodes of season one on Transformers University. Hello, my friend, and welcome to another edition of Transformers University. I am your host, Anthony Brucalli, and this is episode number nine. Today, we are talking once again about the Transformers cartoon first season, and we're going to talk about the uh, middle set of episodes here, episodes six through ten. And it was a um, it was a sixteen episode season, so the uh, uh, this would be the middle section as uh, the 11th episode begins a three-parter, so when we uh, move on to that next third-plus of a season, uh, we, will, uh, we will encompass six episodes in that, that final part of season one. But uh, before we get into the rest of the show, I do want to talk a little bit about YouTube. Uh, if you don't know, all these episodes are available on YouTube, uh, as well as a number of other videos, uh, toy reviews, and uh, some other fun things, so please... Help us out, help me out, and swing on by to YouTube, look for tfu.info, and uh, subscribe and like our videos. Uh, the subscription part is the bigger thing, so if you just take a moment, swing by, click subscribe, and uh, we'll be all good. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to this show on your favorite podcast app if you haven't already, and please, 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 if you're on that iTunes app, just scroll down, look for those star ratings, and rate this show you don't even have to write a review but we'd, i'd love if you did uh and that's all i got to say about that so uh, enough housekeeping for now let's jump into the first episode we're covering today divide and conquer and divide and conquer is the sixth episode of the series and it was written by donald f glute and glute was one of the most prolific writers of the original transformers cartoon he wrote 12 episodes, which isn't the most, but I believe it's the second most of any single writer to uh, uh, be credited with in the original series. And if you combine him and David Wise, who we'll get to later, who wrote uh, 15 episodes of the original series, that's about a third of the show. Um, Clute's primary contributions as a writer all came within the uh, first two seasons, save for one episode. And uh, actually, in today's podcast, we are going to talk about three Donald F. Glute written episodes. And from my research, uh, Mr. Glute is uh, quite the creative uh, individual in that uh, he has been doing television and as a writer, a comic book writer, a novelist, a film director. Uh, he has done many, many things. Uh, over the last four or five decades, and uh, it's pretty, pretty impressive. And if you go all the way back to the 1960s, Glute was the bass player in a band called Penny Arcade, and you spell that A-R-K-A-D-E, uh, a band produced by Mike Naismith of the Monkees. And before we get into the show, let's, uh, let's listen to a little bit of Penny Arcade. Everyone's down 
that little bit there is just a touch of uh, the creative energy spent over the years by Donald F. Glute, and we'll get into uh, a little bit more of that as this episode goes on. So let's uh, let's dive into uh, the episode "Divided and Conquer." And before we do, just a quick reminder: I'm not going to um, break down every last moment of every episode here. Uh, there's plenty of great podcasts out there that do that. Uh, for one, is uh, a show called Cybertronological. Uh, you might have heard Adam and Kevin on the last time we did a G1 cartoon podcast, and uh, uh, definitely go search them out, check them out, because uh, they go episode by episode. Every show is an episode, and they go chronologically, and it's it's worth a listen. Uh, but we will together hit on a few uh, key points, interesting notes, and that sort of thing throughout the episodes. And I will give you the gist of the plot and what happens without uh, going too in-depth into every little detail of the show. Um, So, this episode starts uh, with a really cool wanted poster of Megatron as uh, one of its opening shots. And uh, I'm surprised that's not on a t-shirt yet, but that is really cool. And and we we find ourselves inside a weapons factory with... uh, Chip Chase and the weapons plant manager and uh, Chip is uh, inspecting the factory for efficiency and uh, of course the Seekers attack uh, the factory, Uh, though they're not officially named the Seekers until decades later uh, the Seekers are uh, Starscream, Skywarp, and Thundercracker Um, and there's um, a lot of animation errors here and I'm going to assume most of these are the original animation errors and uh, I'm watching the Kid Rhino releases of the DVDs, and these DVDs did feature additional errors on them that weren't in the original broadcasts. Um, but there's a lot of miscoloring going on uh, as the Seekers attack the factory, one of which is that the security team uh, that shoots at the Seekers from outside the factory, the factory's own security force, are completely miscolored as your tan and yellow construction workers a la spike and spark plug um and then the seekers themselves are miscolored throughout the attack um there's a seat there's a shot of skywarp with his voice uh frank welker and his powers of teleporting but you see starscream there's a uh, thundercracker shown teleporting at one scene and uh the decepticons are attacking this base meanwhile optimus prime is out with Spike and calls into um, the base because he gets a uh, distress message from Chip Chase. And he has a video call. Now, for our younger listeners, keep in mind this is pre-cell phone, pre-video um, conferencing, pre-anything being able to transmit video that isn't a satellite dish. And uh, Optimus has a video call with Teletran 1, but doesn't actually have a camera in front of him to talk to yet somehow shows up on the screen um as if he was talking into a camera and uh he orders uh ironhide and company to um do this autobots transform and meet me there okay so that's not really the catchphrase we've all come to uh know and love from optimus prime so uh he does get to the factory ahead of the rest of the Autobots and fights the Seekers by himself. And he arrives as Starscream is uh, having a very similar conversation with Megatron where he's having a video conference with no camera. 
during the fight, Optimus does fight off all three Seekers uh, successfully, uh, but a computer explosion uh, that threatens the lives of humans happens, and Optimus blocks it with his body, weakening himself, and then he gets blasted by the Decepticons and ultimately put in a place where he is close to death, and that is the crux of this episode. So Optimus is damaged to an extent um, where he... uh, uh, may not make it, because uh, Optimus Primes are very good at dying. We're going to learn this throughout this podcast. And uh, the Decepticons aren't sure if he is uh, dead. And um, Megatron sends Laserbeak to investigate. And it's uh, one neat note here is that uh, Skywarp calls Laserbeak chicken um, in terms of his unwillingness to go infiltrate the Autobot base and see if uh, Optimus is really that badly damaged if his um, quote his laser core was destroyed so uh, this is before we have the notion of a spark it's before the notion of the matrix uh, things that longtime fans may know and it's something that's never really used again but Laserbeak is sent and uh, the reference to him being chicken uh, before we move on is actually straight out of his toy bio uh, from from Marvel and from Bob Budiansky that he is cowardly. And it's one of those things we don't really see other than this episode and the coloring books I mentioned a few episodes back. So it's a, it's a nice little touch uh, within the writing here. And so Laserbeak sneaks in in a very bizarre way. I have a lot to say about this episode. <laughs> Laserbeak sneaks in by transforming and landing on Bronn's shoulder. Um, clearly, Bronn cannot feel anything on his shoulder, and that might be important in the future. Um, and Laserbeak transforms while Optimus is being operated on and shoots him on the operating table, putting him very close to uh, to death. And uh, turns out he needs a new Cosmotron, uh, which we find out is the... Um, is a piece that is in Wheeljack's lab on Cybertron. So uh, the Autobots have to find the space bridge. Uh, uh, and it's an interesting note here, it's established that the space bridge changes locations on Earth uh, and doesn't always appear in the same place. And one of the things uh, that happens here is that we end up seeing the Decepticons uh, traveling via the space bridge and a reflector... Uh, drone, I guess. I don't know what to call him. He's a robot that is three pieces, three robots, uh, is chosen for the trip, and he is scared and downright refusing to get on the space bridge. But he does, and just then uh, a bunch of Autobots show up, and there's a fight in the forest, and another weird thing involving Reflector in this episode, and it makes me wonder if uh, anyone really had a grasp on how he worked. He gets... um. One of the reflector drones gets shot and falls into the next reflector drone into the next one. They become one uh, robot as they're being shot by Blue Streak. It's very bizarre, but uh, ultimately the Autobots win that battle. They get to Cybertron, Ironhide, Blue Streak, Trailbaker, Bumblebee, and Chip. And uh, Megatron calls in something that uh, will come back later in the franchise. He calls and orders Acid Rain. And uh, this group of jets eventually... Um, we'll all get names and future toys, but for now they're just unnamed, uh, unidentified seekers, a yellow one, a green one, and a dark blue, and they do transform into the Tetrajet 
pre-Earth modes that uh, Starscream, Thundercracker, and Skywarp uh, had uh, in the uh, original pilot. And uh, we find out that Cybertron has clouds, and uh, the Rainmakers uh, cause this acid rain, which doesn't affect Chip. So I guess humans are unaffected by uh, the acid rain, but it does cripple the Autobots to some extent. And uh, Chip has this line to say to help uh, rally the team. No one's ever really disabled as long as he has courage. And I really like that line. It's very emblematic of 80s TV, especially TV aimed at a younger audience in terms of um, promoting uh, diversity and promoting uh, a bit of different thought when it comes to people who are different from you. And this is a scene that gets referenced a lot in future Transformers fiction and modern Transformers fiction. It, uh, it is a great way for the line to um, expand upon the Seekers and give us another three in the yellow, green, and dark blue ones. Uh, and one of the things Bumblebee mentions in uh, the Autobots as they're battling back from uh, the acid rain is he calls it an acid storm. And in fact, the green one uh, will eventually get named acid storm and uh, blue street calls them rainmakers and the group themselves would eventually be named the rainmakers and so uh <laughs> there's a funny uh the funny line later on that's very memeable and uh i'm just gonna play it for you right here i'm sorry spike sometimes nothing you do makes any difference now that that line comes from when uh the autobots are just about to lose Optimus Prime uh, moments before the team that went to Cybertron arrives with the part to repair Optimus. But uh, it, no matter how you take that line, it, it just feels off. <laughs> Whether Sparkplug is just saying that, you know what, uh, you're better off not trying in life. Or if he just means Spike specifically will do nothing that makes any difference. <laughs> Uh, it's it's one of those lines that uh, just makes me laugh when I'm reading on the page here uh, in my notes. And so Optimus uh, gets repaired and uh, returns to fight the Decepticons who are now storming uh, the Ark and the Autobot base uh, as the Autobots are in a weakened state without their leader. And then just as the Autobots are losing, Optimus turns the tide and helps them win. And for uh, a little bit more on the legacy of this episode in the Transformers fandom. We're going to go to my friend, Gabriel Owens, the Salty Seaman. Uh, another uh, interesting bit from the old fandom or people who don't remember it so well, people always like question, you know, like whether Ravage was a cat or a dog, which I just find incredibly crazy because he obviously looks like a robotic uh, black panther and he's referred to as a cat of some sort several times, including this episode where uh, Spike calls him a bad kitty. So, uh, yeah, that's one of the stupidest uh, arguments I've heard from people barely remembering the early Transformers. And uh, one, one last note I noticed at the end when, you know, of course, Prime makes his recovery and he comes back, the Autobots are getting their butts kicked on the battlefield and uh, Prime finally returns. He got his new part looking brand spanking new and challenges Megatron to a one-on-one -on -one battle and there's this kind of seems to be there's some kind of battle code for Cybertron that we get hints of here and later in Heavy Metal War. Yeah! 
And uh, some of the other fiction would kind of touch on it. You know, the comics established there was a gladiatorial uh, combat in the past. Megatron was a champion of that. And that, that, that little idea thread has kind of carried on. But uh, So this, this show actually touched on it too, although we don't see much of it after Heavy Metal War. And I don't know how this challenge differs from that challenge, but uh, uh, somehow it does. Or, or the video game challenge from the comics, if you want to go there. But a, a bit of Transformer lore, we don't see a lot of these uh, rules for engaging in combat, which I think is a pretty interesting idea. Thanks, Gabe, and I think it's interesting seeing this battle code referenced uh, here for the first time and knowing it's coming later that the uh, Cybertronians have customs. They have ways of doing things that uh, we don't know about yet, and we're slowly learning, and I think that is one of the great things about this series is that there's a lot more here to dig into, and so we will dig into the next episode, Fire in the Sky. And in a season filled with iconic episodes, Fire in the Sky may be one of the most iconic G1 episodes of all time. It was written by Dick Robbins, Bryce Malick, and one other person by the name of Alfred A. Peagle. And uh, he was a writer, but only has four credits uh, on his IMDb entry. They're all animation. Um, This one episode of Transformers, uh, he was a staff writer on Mask, so I don't know how many episodes of that show he wrote. He wrote the episode Hearts and Cannons of G.I. Joe in 1985, and he wrote one episode of Defenders of the Earth in 1986. If he has any one episode in his career that he should hang his hat on, it is this one. The So the basic premise to this episode is that the Decepticons are drilling into Earth's core to um, steal the Earth's heat energy from its core, and uh, as much as that science is complete nonsense, that is the setting we're going to work out of for this one. And uh, in doing so, temperatures drop worldwide. And this leads to a fairly iconic scene in that the Autobots have a snowball fight uh, with Spike in the desert in the middle of July. And um, there's some uh, weird things in this animation sequence. Uh, In one of the shots, the snow drifts upward. And uh, there's the cartoon trope of Spike getting hit with a snowball rolling downhill and becoming a larger snowball and taking out a whole bunch of Autobots. And of course, there's this line from Jazz. Hey guys, that's snow fair! And of course, that's not why this episode is important. Why this episode is important is that there are two things here that are huge to Transformers lore and... Uh, incredibly memorable things that happen in this episode one we find out a bit about starscream's past and two we find out about that past via the decepticons finding a robot trapped in the ice in the arctic by the name of jet skyfire yes skyfire not jetfire because copyright reasons and uh, we'll get a bit more into the skyfire jetfire thing when we get into the 1985 toy line Uh, But for all you need to know now is that Skyfire is a character on the cartoon. Jetfire is the toy. And before we get into Skyfire and his unique backstory, we see the Autobots one more time. They decide to uh, do this for the first time. Autobots, transform and roll out! And that is the first time you'll ever hear Optimus Prime say that line in the show. And the Autobots do roll out. They drive all the way 
to the Arctic Circle. And uh, other fun note here, Spike and Sparkplug uh, may be the first ice road truckers. And they have, uh, instead of their normal clothes on, they have uh, these snowsuits and parkas on uh, that have hard hats with ear flaps. And then we get back to Decepticons. They are trying to revive uh, Jetfire. And uh, another weird, funny kind of thing here is that when the process of trying to revive Jetfire and shock him awake, Starscream is very uh, involved in this, and he orders a shock of 50,000 volts, and it doesn't work. So he decides to up the power to a million volts. And uh, this is quite quite the jump from 50,000 to a million. Uh, and in the process of this, Starscream reveals that he knew Skyfire before the war and that they were explorers. They were scientists. And uh, this is important because it's the first pre-war flashback we will we'll see in the G1 cartoon. It's not something we see often, but it's something we see a few times. And it's always very rewarding to uh, get some of that origin story, some of that backstory of what happened and what led us to this point. And... Skyfire and Starscream's relationship is one of those things that is um, stuck with people since this episode first aired. And one of those people is Frank Todaro, the current voice of Starscream on the Prime Wars trilogy uh, cartoon that is on Go90. And for more on this episode and how it's affected his uh, interpretation of the character, here is Frank Todaro. So Starscream's role in this episode is actually something that was sort of in the back of my mind when we were doing season one of uh, of Prime Wars. I love how I, – I, I love the reasonable-sounding Starscream. This is, it's one of my favorite depictions of the character right on the stop. They were, they were explorers. I mean they're basically the crew of the Enterprise, him and Skyfire, uh, or the Axelon, I guess, to be on brand. Um, and the sound of remorse – in his voice when he's talking, you know, when he's talking about like he's circling the planet looking for Skyfire, looking for his friend, but to no avail. And he flies off back to Cybertron for some reason in an, in an Earth mode from 1984. Uh, and it, cre it presents this thoughtful Starscream. And I feel like that sort of, you know, gets lost in the fray when you think about the character. This guy was a scientist, man. This was, he, he was the race stands of times of yore. And I love that. No joke. This is something – this is a depiction of the character that I uh, I love because there's depth in it. He's not just a scenery-chewing bad guy that's like, I'm going to kill the Autobots! Like, he's, he's, there's something back there behind his uh, constantly betraying where he's intelligent. He was a scientist. He's got motives for everything he does, so uh, you can also kind of garner to think, well, maybe he really thinks that – he would be right for Cybertron. He would be right to lead the Decepticons. And it's not just that he's a narcissistic, cowardly self – well, he's all those things too. But he believes in what he's doing. And so the rest of this episode is um, Skyfire becomes a Decepticon. He, um, he dons the Decepticon brand and uh, – he learns that he uh, is not really cut out for the Decepticon cause. He refuses to execute uh, captured Autobots uh, to the anger of Starscream. And he will end up returning to save the day and switching sides and becoming an Autobot. And uh, a couple other little interesting tidbits in this episode. There's a rare appearance by uh, 
combat deck, Optimus Prime's trailer, uh, the guns particularly within Optimus Prime's trailer. So interesting moment in this episode, Megatron uses a half transformation. He swing, swings his hips 180 degrees uh, while flipping over Optimus to uh, gain an advantage in the fight. Um, and it's not something you see very often in this show. And one really important thing that we're going to talk about uh, in just a little bit is that at the end of this episode, Skyfire dies trying to uh, save the Autobots. In his last-ditch effort, he, he's fighting Starscream in the air. They collide, and uh, it sends Skyfire into a, a nosedive, and he blasts the crystal and then crashes into the ice and is frozen once again. The Autobots uh, uh, mourn his loss and move on. And so will we into uh, the next episode, SOS Dinobots. And this episode written by Donald F. Glute. And as I mentioned earlier, Glute is quite the uh, creator and content producer. And uh, among some of the things he's done over his career, he's written a lot of books on dinosaurs, including the Dinosaur Dictionary um, in 1972. And uh, his interest in dinosaurs certainly uh, plays into these episodes and into this one. And uh, this episode holds a pretty special place in my heart as it's the first Transformers episode I remember seeing as a kid. And I certainly remember a lot about how that episode ended up in front of my eyes. I remember being home. Uh, I was probably about six years old, so I was really into GoBots at the time. And uh, my mom, who loved reading the TV Guide... Uh, must have saw that this was on in prime time because I remember it being on at night. And uh, she sat me in front of the TV. She just changed the challenge, put this on. She told me there was something on TV she thought I was going to like and I should watch it. And she <laughs> put it on and we put in a tape and we recorded it. And uh, I guess the rest is history. And it, it really did have a whole bunch of things I like, transforming robots and dinosaurs, uh, which to any kid between the ages of five and nine um how can you not like it right uh so in this episode the autobots find dinosaur bones in the volcano um near the base so the autobots want to learn more and spike takes hound to a museum and uh they meet this guy wow man that's what i call heavy metal okay they don't actually meet him he just kind of is standing there, but I, I like that soundbite and want to get it in the show. But uh, one of the interesting things in this scene is that Spike tells Hound to uh, get holograms of the dinosaur bones, uh, much like someone would say take a digital photo these days in an age that didn't have digital cameras. So I guess the closest thing would be like take a picture of that. And uh, so it's it's interesting to see how life imitates uh, TV's vision of futuristic technology. Uh, and in a very classic 80s montage, the Autobots build the Dinobots. Uh, the Dinobots attack the Autobots and are deactivated and shoved behind a wall at the decree of Optimus Prime because they are too dangerous because they are not smart enough to not attack the Autobots. And uh, in this episode, the Decepticons attack another dam at a waterfall to steal its energy. Uh, we've heard this before, we will hear this again. And the Autobots uh, get a distress signal, and they get ready to 
head out. And uh, as Optimus orders the Autobots to transform and roll out, Bumblebee starts to transform and gets a not you, Bumblebee. And for me as a kid, that was definitely one of those playable moments that I mentioned in the previous cartoon episode that uh, you find a way to start doing that with your toys, that you line them up and uh, order them to transform and roll out and then half transform Bumblebee and put him back and have him stay behind uh, in case they need a rescue. Uh, and so the Autobots end up at uh, the dam. They fight the Decepticons. They fall into the water and short out and get captured. Bumblebee, uh, refusing to follow orders 100%, uh, drives up, rescues Spike. Why is Spike there, but uh, Bumblebee not? I have no idea. And returns to the base uh, where Wheeljack and Ratchet are the only ones left. Wheeljack has been designing another one of his inventions, uh, helmets to control the Dinobots, and uh, sends them out to save the Autobots. And uh, that they do, and... So the uh, Dinobots, Grimlock, Slag, and Sludge are all introduced in this episode, and they go to save the Autobots. And there's a couple playable moments in this battle scene, too. Ones that really stuck with me as a kid, uh, even after the show was off the air, or when you know you just weren't watching it, but you, you had you know, ideas. And one was the um, the Dinobots didn't know who the uh, friends were. They knew they had to go save their friends, and they didn't know. And uh, Slag and Sludge ended up having this conversation. It's one's friends. One's with face like this. And uh, the other playable moment in this episode is when the Autobots are rescued by Wheeljack and the Dinobots. Uh, Wheeljack has to find a way to free them from their bonds, and uh, he finds their guns. And it was one of those things that uh, doesn't work with the toys because not all the guns fit in... In, actually, none of the guns fit in Wheeljack's hands because his hands don't have any holes in them. Uh, but they don't even really fit from character to character. But I always thought it was a, a fun little scene in that he finds their weapons, picks up their guns, and uses their weapons to free them. And, of course, the, the Dinobots save the day. The Decepticons are defeated. And uh, they are allowed to stay as part of the Autobots. All right, so we're going to move on to the next episode, Fire on the Mountain. Now, this episode here, uh, written by Douglas Booth, who also wrote uh, Roll for It, uh, which is episode five. You can go back and listen to episode five of this podcast uh, to find out more of that episode if you haven't listened to it already. Fire on the Mountain picks up where Fire in the Sky left off, and, uh, and it makes the ending of Fire in the Sky somewhat controversial to uh, Transformers fans and for more on that ending and how it leads into fire on the mountain here is Toy Box Comics Alan Young fast forward to the end of the episode Skyfire doesn't trust Starscream for too long he figures out that the Decepticons aren't in the right so he uh, turns on his friend joins the Autobots for five minutes until he's buried in the ice and that in itself would be Fine. Maybe the Autobots couldn't get to him for some reason, except a couple episodes later, they dig him up. So his sacrifice is, well, his sacrifice is real, but the Autobots just seem like a bunch of jerks for leaving him there. And Alan there uh, may not be the only one who thought bringing Skyfire back was a good idea. For a little bit more, we go back to the current voice of Starscream, Frank Todaro. I kind of 
in one sense, almost wish that Jetfire or Skyfire never came back. Uh, sorry, Greg, but it's uh, it would have meant so much more. Like, was it Optimus's last line? It's like something uh, he will live forever as long as as long as freedom exists, and it's so beautiful. It's so like second star of the right, straight on till morning, perfect punchline for that for that story. But I don't know. Whenever they needed a cab ride. Skyfire was like the Uber of the Autobots. All right, so this episode might make the Autobots out to seem like a bunch of jerks, but uh, it is chock full of some great highlights. And for more of those highlights and a basic rundown of what this episode's all about, here is the Gamer Going Gray. Fire on the Mountain is mostly remembered for being the episode that Skyfire gets melted out of the ice after being frozen at the end of Fire in the Sky. The Autobots just left him there until they decide they need him to go to South America. But otherwise, the episode is pretty much a standard Transformers episode. It has all that you need. It has your MacGuffin in the crystal that Megatron uses to power his cannon. It has a Wheeljack invention to stop that MacGuffin in the end. It has Decepticons squabbling with each other, calling each other names. There's a bunch of cool fights, including some other running ones that'll start up, like Blue Streak zapping Laserbeak out of the sky, a personal favorite of mine, and uh, Brawn versus Soundwave. In this case, him and Windcharger ride Soundwave and Reflector and bash them into mountains. There are also some other cool fighting things, like Brawn shooting Megatron with his own fusion cannon. It's just little moments like that that makes the episode fun to watch. And this episode, yeah, it really is fun to watch. Bringing Skyfire back aside, uh, whether you agree or don't, um, there are some really, really interesting uh, little bits here in this episode that I picked up. Um, First being the dynamics between Starscream, Thundercracker, and Skyfire. Uh, Thundercracker plays a big role in this episode as uh, a jilted Decepticon who feels that maybe, maybe, maybe he might have chosen the wrong side or at least the wrong group of people. And um, Starscream catches him being derelict in his duties in order to uh, make Starscream look bad. And uh, a lot of this interaction really plays very, very nicely, especially for what should be a uh, kid's cartoon. Furthermore, Braun. Let's talk about Braun in this episode. Man, he is badass in this episode. He takes on Megatron and Soundwave, he steals Megatron's fusion cannon and fires Megatron's fusion cannon. He also takes a hit in the shoulder, uh, which uh, you might know that he took a much more serious hit in the shoulder uh, in a future future piece of Transformers fiction. Uh, but uh, here he takes a hit in the shoulder and he uh, pretty much just shrugs it off. Another interesting thing about this episode, and something that seems to become common Uh, as the show goes on and as the show becomes more popular, is that the show seemed to have been very heavily rushed in production. Uh, All accounts say that a lot of the times uh, scripts got barely one read uh, by the uh, script supervisors before being passed uh, to the storyboard phase. And and what you see here is that there is uh, what seems to be a, a decision to split the production teams up to produce an episode for every other episode. Fire in the Sky, which was the seventh produced episode, actually aired eighth, uh, aired later uh, than SOS Dinobots, but it was produced seventh. SOS Dinobots produced eighth. Fire on the Mountain, the continuation of Fire in the Sky, 
produced with an episode in between. And shocking, the next episode we'll talk about is about the Dinobots. So there's an alternation of um, the continuity that there's a story, and another story, and then a story that re relates back to that first story, and so on. Now, this doesn't happen every other episode for the remainder of the show, but it does happen a lot through seasons 1, 2, and 3. So, just something to uh, be aware of, that sometimes they may skip a story point or a plot point because they were just two teams not working together, working independently of each other, and uh, both creating elements of the show. And you can see there's sometimes what seems to be a lack of communication between those two or three groups uh, as the show gets more popular and more episodes need to be rushed out. Another interesting thing I noticed uh, while watching this episode is that um, certain characters, the ones that seem to be specifically the kid-oriented, kid-focused characters, the one that the kid who's watching the show is supposed to feel like is them, are assigned to actors who only do that voice. For example, Hound or Bumblebee or Jazz, their voice actors didn't play any other characters in the first season or the second season, uh, at least not main characters or actual Transformers. Another thing this episode uh, made me notice is that actors who voice more than one character, uh, their characters tend to get grouped into the same episode. So if you see an episode with Starscream, there's a good chance Wheeljack's in it or a good chance Sparkplug is in it. Same goes for Optimus Prime and Ironhide or, well, Frank Welker's kind of the exception because he's everyone. Uh, but that, that idea that they can get a little more bang for their buck by doubling down on the voice actors within the episode. So if there's a lot of Spike, there's a good chance there's Braum. This episode, Fire on the Mountain, heavy on Thundercracker, also has Windcharger because John Stevenson only voiced those two characters. The last thing I noticed about this particular episode is that a lot of the characters in this episode, a lot of the characters in this episode, did not do well in Transformers the movie. That's all I'm saying. If you haven't seen the 86 film, I'm not going to spoil it for you, but it's been over 30 years. Really, you should get on that. Now, moving on to the final episode we're covering today, War of the Dinobots. Yeah! And this one also written by Donald F. Glute. And uh, if you're wondering what Mr. Glute is doing today, he runs a... Uh, he runs a website about his writing, about a lot of his stuff, called DonaldFGlute.com. That's G-L-U-T, Glute. And uh, that will link to a number of his uh, ventures, uh, including his uh, collection of dinosaur artifacts. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, he is a dinosaur aficionado, and these dinosaur artifacts seem to... Uh, be regularly photographed with very scantily clad women and I think that leads into what his actual job is where he is a casting director um, for a modeling agency uh, the he is the talent director correction here talent director for Los Angeles models uh, which is a subsidiary of Las Vegas talent agency so if you'd like to see some of his dinosaur artifacts hanging out with some of his models uh, swing on by to DonaldFGlute.com. And uh, another interesting thing here, speaking of the confluence of those two things, 
in the uh, 90s, uh, Mr. Glute here had written and produced and occasionally directed a whole bunch of movies that were basically B-movies straight to video, including a film that Glute both wrote and directed, Dinosaur Valley Girls. Here's a clip. B-movie jokes aside, War of the Dinobots does start with a very uh, B-movie beginning with a meteor crashing to Earth. And it just reminds me of one of my favorite uh, independent spoofs of B-movies, the lost skeleton of Cadavra. And uh, I do wonder if this meteor contains some atmospherium. This silly old meteor, as you call it, could be made of atmospherium. Do you know what that could mean for mankind? Aliens from outer space. Earth contains that rarest of all radioactive elements, atmospherium. I hope the owners don't mind their good dishes holding a radioactive meteor. Don't eat the meteor by mistake, whatever you do. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, we'll clean the dishes before we go. All right, all kidding aside, uh, Soundwave is tasked by Megatron to uh, figure out the Dinobots' weaknesses. And... Uh, in the process of this, uh, the Autobots go and check out the Meteor, uh, and they leave the Dinobots to uh, guard the Meteor, which turns out to be unstable. And uh, Optimus, on the way back, commissions Wheeljack and Ratchet to build two more Dinobots. You know what that means. It means we get another Dinobot-building montage. Uh, in the meantime, uh, Soundwave figures out what the Dinobots' weaknesses are, Slag is hostile, Grimlock is arrogant, and Sludge is stupid. So Megatron's plan is to fly over to the Dinobots and uh, talk them into destroying Optimus Prime by playing up uh, the fact that Grimlock is stronger, and that for Slag it means he'll get to fight, and Sludge will follow whoever is strongest. Meanwhile, back at the Autobot base, we are introduced to Snarl and Swoop. Uh, they have two whole lines in this episode between them, introducing themselves. And uh, they get to test themselves out by fighting the other Autobots. Uh, in the meantime, Optimus Prime finds out that the meteor is unstable and will explode. And drives back to the Dinobots to uh, warn them of the meteor's instability. Optimus gets attacked, ambushed really, uh, by the Dinobots and uh, the Dinobots win. Uh, Optimus almost dies yet again, that's twice in these five episodes alone. And Grimlock though is surprised that uh, Optimus still functions and uh, has some second thoughts and instead of annihilating Optimus he captures him. He brings him to Megatron, and while there, the uh, Swoop and Snarl show up, along with some other Autobots. And Swoop and Snarl fight the rest of the Dinobots. And uh, just as the uh, Meteor, which is now in Decepticon control, explodes, Optimus knocks Grimlock out of the way of the exploding Meteor, risking himself to save the Dinobot leader. And thus, he wins Grimlock's loyalty, 
because Megatron was ready to flee and Optimus saved Grimlock's life. So, so then the Dinobots fight the Decepticons. The Decepticons flee hastily and uh, Optimus decrees that uh, the Dinobots can stay among them and that wraps up War of the Dinobots. And that will wrap up this edition of Transformers University. I am your host, Anthony Brucalli, and uh, please swing on by to YouTube and like and subscribe to the show. If you uh, listen to this podcast on a podcatcher, please rate and review us as it does help the show. There are so many other ways to help help the show and help the site. Swing on by to tfu.info slash help uh, for a full list of images we are looking for for the website to help complete the toy archive. And uh, swing on by to tfu.info slash Amazon. It'll take you to Amazon.com. And any purchases you make at Amazon doesn't cost you extra. It doesn't cost you a thing. But they kick back some change to us here at tfu.info to help keep the show going and keep the site up and running. And we got so much more coming your way. I've got a contest in the works that's going to be a lot of fun. Um, we've got lots of videos planned, so uh, definitely subscribe to that YouTube channel because uh, I'm going to be taking advantage of that real soon. And don't forget, in just a few weeks, New York Toy Fair, February 17th, 2018. That is coming up, and I will be doing live coverage on Twitter, probably on YouTube, but definitely on Twitter. You can find us on Twitter at TFU underscore info, where we will have all the latest news from Hasbro's exhibit at Toy Fair, including all the new toys that are coming out this year. And lastly, I want to uh, thank all of my guests, Frank Todaro, who you can catch on Go90's Prime Wars trilogy, Combiner Wars, Titans Return, and the forthcoming Power of the Primes, as well as the salty sea man himself, Gabriel Owens, Gamer Going Gray, David Schulz, and Toy Box Comics, Alan Young. You can find links for just about every one of those folks in the description of this show, as well as links to where you can buy or download these episodes of Transformers Season 1. Still got a lot of great stuff coming up for you as we wrap up 1984 and head on into 1985. There's a little bit more of cartoon to talk about. There's a little bit more of toy stuff to talk about. And then we will jump into 1985. So please be sure to subscribe to the show. Stick around and be the first to listen to us. Uh, if you got anything to uh, tell me, if you want to communicate with me, please send me a message on Facebook, facebook.com slash T-F-U-I-N-F-O, or on Twitter at T-F-U underscore I-N-F-O. Uh, you can also email me at info at T-F-U dot info. And we're on YouTube as well. So please tell me what you think of the show. If you have ideas, I'd love to hear them. And that will wrap up this one. See ya.